Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right. Another week, and we've got another difficult loss to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 366. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we reveal our thoughts from Sunday's Eagles loss on the road to the Las Vegas Raiders before getting into this weekend's matchup against the Detroit Lions. Before we get there, just a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. As always, make sure you go on to our Apple podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question about the team, what you're seeing so far, go on, leave it there. We will answer it on an upcoming episode. Really appreciate everybody that has thrown us your support recently. Also want to shout out some other pieces of content to be sure to go check out. Over on our Eagles YouTube page, you can go check out the All 22 Review. That's where I go through all of the film clips that I broke down and wanted to share with you. So people that are that are looking for the, the video versions of some of the things we're going to talk about here on this episode, make sure you go find the All 22 Review over on the Eagles YouTube page. I'll tweet it out from my Twitter account as well. Also, make sure you go read the post-snap read. This week, I'm focusing in on Dallas Goddard. How did he look in his first bout here as the tight end one in the Eagles offense? I look at it both run game and pass game focus with Dallas Goddard against the Raiders. And as always, make sure you go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. If the draft were tomorrow, the Eagles would have three top nine picks in the NFL draft. Very, very exciting. So if you want to know who the top prospects are, make sure you go and check out the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. We are getting you ready with two episodes a week from now through next April's draft. That said, excited to talk here with Greg Cosell. Break down what we saw from Sunday's loss against Las Vegas and preview Sunday's matchup against the Detroit Lions. Let's get going here with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, please be joined now by NFL Film Senior Producer, my friend Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, look, I, I said at the top of the show, another difficult loss for us to, yep. to break down here, right? Eagles go on the road. They fall to two and five uh, at the hands of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I guess takeaways from watching the offense, we'll start on that side of the football as we typically do. Uh, you know, a lot of – and it's, it's one of those things – when you have an offense that is performing as inconsistently as this one is, and it's we've talked about this when the Eagles have had offenses like this over the years, it's not one issue. Uh, one one drive, it could be three penalties in five snaps. Another drive, it's poor poor pass protection, uh, kind of halted the drive. Another one, well, uh, you know, that was when Miles Sanders got hurt. So maybe that took the wind out of it. You know what I mean? Like there's just all these different things you point to and say like, yeah, that's not working well. This didn't work well. This kind of halted that drive. Um, just one of those things or just a lot going against the Eagles on the offensive side of the football right now. Yeah, although I thought what was really interesting and certainly successful was that opening possession yeah, where no they put they put Jalen Hurts under center, uh, 12 personnel. The touchdown to Gainwell was 13 personnel. Um, you know, that was kind of a change in approach. I mean, they had five consecutive plays if you count the uh, – the defensive holding call, which obviously does not go down as a play, but let's, for our purposes, sure, let's for count our purposes, that. Yep. <clears throat> that was five consecutive plays on the first possession with Hertz under center out of 12 personnel, three Sanders runs, a fourth if you count the defensive holding. 
and the play action pass to Goddard for 24 yards, which was actually a very well-designed concept, knowing that you're going to get cover three, because I think probably Gus Bradley, their DC, probably in the middle of the night, just says cover three, cover three, cover three, because that's what the Raiders play. So you knew that going in. So, you know, seeing that drive, um, you know, you felt like, hey, here was a little bit of a change in approach, and it was successful. It was. And that's what I was interested to see if that was going to be something that kind of stuck through. Would there be anything else that we saw that was like a change in wrinkles? And uh, obviously, look, they, they lose Miles Sanders in the second possession yeah. uh, on that screenplay at the end of the drive. And you could say, all right, well, maybe the, the approach changes a little bit after that point. Maybe you're a little less confident in uh, trying to get the run game going. I thought the offensive line, we saw some good things with their ability to get push up front. I mean, uh, that left side, when you look at Jordan Mailata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, those three guys I thought out got outstanding push a number of times, not just on some of those runs, um, but even on the, in, when they called RPOs and Jalen Hurts threw the football, I thought you saw a lot of really good examples of uh, getting good movement against Jonathan Hankins and Quentin Jefferson and some of the other guys that the, the Raiders were able to cycle through. So uh, the other big thing, too, just staying run game focused, this was the first game that I can think of where uh, we saw a, a variety of runs, right? We saw yeah. a couple of designed quarterback runs for Jalen Hurts. We saw a couple of traps uh, in this game, which we haven't yes, really seen did. from the Eagles uh, here this year. So uh, we saw a variety of some zone schemes as well. So not only were, did we see more runs, but we saw a wider variety of runs in this offense than what we've seen in years past. And the first half was clearly balanced in terms of run-pass ratio. And again, there's no specific number that it needs to be, as we both know, but there was a clear commitment to the run game and some of that with, with Jalen Hurts under center. So, you know, I thought that I, to me, and again, you know, I'm not in the meeting rooms and, and the coaches know the players better than I do, uh, but I thought that was a positive and I thought there were some positive signs. And you mentioned some of those. You, We all know, and this is universal, it's not specific to the Eagles. We all know that offensive linemen would much rather run block and fire off the ball. And I thought that they showed that they were they wanted to do that and there was some success doing that. Yeah, I think we definitely saw that. And by the way, it occurred to me, I misspoke when I said earlier that uh, more diverse runs than we with what we had seen from this Eagles offense in recent years. I certainly meant uh, in recent games. In recent, in recent games, uh, yes. Yeah, so the, the Eagles historically have had a very multiple run game, a very diverse run game. Uh, have not seen that as much here in 2021. Um, I guess looking at the the rest of the uh, the running back, you talked about Kenny Gainwell, uh, him getting that touchdown off the Texas route to to kind of put the. Uh, the icing on the cake there at the end of that first drive. Um, good to see him reach the end zone, I believe, for the third time this year. So he, he's been a very yep. active part of this Eagles offense. And uh, whether it's been as a pass catcher, certainly saw a little bit more of a workload as a runner this week after the Sanders injury. But uh, you and I both liked Gainwell, and we're continuing to see him worked in here in the offensive game plan. Yeah, I mean, the shame of it was is that he had the fumble, and then they had the fumble down in the tight red zone. Yep. And and. You know, I never know what to make of plays like that because they happen. But w when a team is is struggling and, and they're just looking for any positive sign, those things kill you. But Gainwell will, I, I imagine, now get a, a bigger workload. I, I would I would like to see them continue to, to run the ball the way they did. You'll have Gainwell and Boston Scott, I imagine. Uh, whether I assume they might bring up Jordan Howard from the practice squad uh, because it appears that Sanders will be out for a couple of weeks with his ankle injury. So, you know, to me, I thought that was a positive sign, and I think that can only help. Now, obviously, they didn't score a ton of points, but those two turnovers really hurt. Um, you know, turnovers and penalties 
are, are tough things. I'm not exactly sure how to analyze those things other than we know that they shouldn't happen. But I, I, in the overall scheme of things, you know, if you're doing some positive things, I don't think that can take away from the tactical positives that you see. Sure. I think that makes sense. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, talking about Miles Sanders, uh, uh, Nick Sirianni saying on Monday evening at his press conference that uh, more of a week to week kind of injury for okay. Miles Sanders. He did mention uh, Jordan Howard uh, come potentially uh, you know, being used off the practice squad this week. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Uh, speaking of uh, the Monday evening press conference, uh, the Eagles announcing that they have traded quarterback Joe Flacco uh, to the New York Jets for a conditional draft pick. It could be a sixth or a fifth, depending on playing time for Joe Flacco. The Eagles uh, also picked up a quarterback off of waivers as well from the Miami Dolphins, uh, former undrafted free agent out of the University of San Diego. Uh, and I am pulling that name because I Reed have, Stennett, I believe. Reed, is Reed Stennett. Yes, thank you. And I can uh, say, Fran, that I did not watch him and I imagine you did not either. Right. I did not. I did not watch. Uh, <laughs> he has been in the he's been in the league for a couple of years, yeah. uh, I believe, with the Miami Dolphins. But um so I think when you look at uh, obviously the trade for Joe Flacco, that means Gardner Minshew uh, will elevate now to be the number two quarterback. So we'll continue to watch that. Uh, you know, I guess they, you know, Nick Sirianni stood by Jalen Hurts here Monday evening as his quarterback one. So not necessarily something that we'll see play out on the field, but uh, certainly a move on the depth chart there for Gardner Minshew. Uh, just talking about the pass game. Um, any takeaways? Uh, I guess we're obviously more inconsistencies. We saw some uh, good three level stretch concepts to try and attack the the charge or attack the uh, the Raiders in their cover three schemes. But uh, overall, just again, just a little bit too much inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, Goddard had three 20 plus yard receptions. They all yep. came on intermediate corner routes versus cover three. Yep. All three came out of the same cover three beater concept with the corner lifted and and Goddard running the the corner out. I'm really curious to see what Nick Sirianni and staff do going forward. Now, to me, the Raiders are, are a basic and relatively predictable defense, and you know what you're going to get. You're going to get high percentage four-man rush and cover three behind it. You know you're going to get that. Um, not every team is, quote-unquote, as predictable. But yeah, I, I really... In seeing that first drive, seeing Jalen Hurts under center, seeing that first throw, which was play action, and they knew how to attack it, and they knew what they were going to get. See, when you do that on first and 10, um, you tend to get more predictable coverage looks. And I'm just really curious to see if they're going to do more of that, because that really helps define the throws for Jalen Hurts. And, and I think it would allow him to become ideally more consistent because he would know where he's going with the ball on those kinds of plays. And we'll see if that continues, but I, you know, that was a positive to me. And I, I think to me, that's something they should definitely do more of. So I thought we saw two good examples of that uh, in this game. The, the one to Quez Watkins on that three-level stretch where he came from across the field and, and that opening drive on the 24-yarder uh, to uh, to Dallas Goddard as well. That one was from yep. the center. The Quez Watkins one uh, was from the shotgun. But when you say things are more well-defined for the quarterback, can you kind of paint the picture for the listeners? Uh, obviously, we don't have a visual aid here, but can you sure. paint a picture of what you mean when you say it's more well-defined well, for the quarterback? Let's start with this idea. Number one, if you're going to throw the ball on first down, defenses do not have 10 defenses that they run on first down. They basically have two or three. So you know from film study predominantly what you're going to get. And in fact, very often defenses on first down might have two. I remember talking with a coach a number of years ago who coached in the NFL for years, and he basically said, hey, 
on first down, when we line up with this personnel, we're going to get one of two defenses. And that's pretty much the way it is in the NFL. So you know that you can build a route concept or, or run a route concept that attacks the, the, the two defenses that you're going to get. And therefore, the quarterback, before the snap of the ball, has a strong sense of where he's going to go with the football. The play design, the play call tells him that, and it's based on what the defense is doing. So that in and of itself defines before the ball is snapped where he's going to go. Now, he just confirms that, obviously, but normally it's just a confirmation, Fran, as you know. So he's able to throw the ball. If you think of that first pass to Goddard, the 24-yarder on the first possession, when Jalen Hurts turned his back to the defense and snapped his head around, he knew exactly, he looked right at Goddard because he knew that that route concept and the way it was run because Goddard worked inside uh, of the of the hook-to-curl defender. So the hook-to-curl defender figured, hey, he's not my responsibility anymore. They knew that Goddard would be able to settle right into that void in cover three. And he knew that he would be able to deliver the ball on time within the structure of the play. And that's the thing is when you're starting to create uh, some of those more well-defined throws for the quarterback, uh, obviously it's a lot less reading for him. It's a lot less mentally taxing. It's now he can just basically drop back, confirm that what he saw pre-snap is still there and then just grip it and rip it. And now now it's up to him to kind of make a, make a throw. Uh, And certainly Jalen was able to do that on some of those plays. And and Jalen is still an 11 game starter. So he's at the point in his career, Fran, where he needs to feel that he can, to use your term, grip it and rip it. You know, people forget. And also, I don't think we're saying anything that that many felt. You know, Jalen came into this league as a second-round pick. He was never viewed as a guy that was just a natural thrower, that we could just, you know, get out of bed and throw the ball. You know, he needed to develop as an NFL quarterback. So after 11 games, are there ups and downs? Absolutely. But I think it's a little premature to decide whether he can play or whether he can't play. And unfortunately, the Eagles have gotten behind in a lot of games, and that also hurts the development of a young quarterback because there, there's too much throwing that has to happen in circumstances and situations that you don't want him to be in. Sure. And I think, too, um, you know, in talking about that and the inexperience that Jalen Hurts has, we've talked about how the, the Eagles just have it's a very young offense. The, the receivers yeah. are very, very young. Uh, the offensive line at times, very, very young. And, you know, obviously, look, Yannick Ngakwe had himself a day yesterday, was, you know, in the quarterback's face, uh, sure. often had a couple of sacks. Uh, and I think a lot of people have pointed that at Jordan Mailata. And, and certainly Jordan did not have a great game. But it's interesting when you say, like, all right, well, uh, this is Jalen Hurts, you know, his 11th start. I'm pretty sure we're around the same number for Jordan Mailata because he had only start, only had a handful of starts last uh, last year, then missed a couple this past year uh, due to the knee injury, and then came back in. So uh, a very young player as well. So you're going to have some up and ups and downs with him as well, going up against a, a star pass rusher like Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, I thought they would, when you mentioned that the, the inexperience for Jalen, I wanted to make sure we kind of brought that to the Jordan Mailata conversation as well. No, and that's fair because Mailata does have snaps where he struggles a bit in pass pro, and he did in the game. Uh, against the Raiders. And again, he was facing a really good pass rusher. So that's to be expected, but it's very hard. You know, Jalen Hurts, because he's in his second year, people are not thinking of him as a rookie, but essentially in terms of of starts, he's a rookie. I mean, Jalen Hurts only has four more starts or, or five more starts than Trevor Lawrence. 
if you want to think of it that way. He only has four more starts than Mac Jones. Yep. You want to think of it that way. So he's a very young player learning the, the position at the NFL level as he's playing. And as I said, unfortunately, he's been, been in games, some due to his inconsistency, some due to other areas of the team where he's been behind. And that makes it different. Behind by meaningful amounts, you know, right. not where you're behind by three points, sure. you know, behind by meaningful amounts. And that's, you know, studies have been done. I, I spoke to a quarterback coach this summer and he told me that the studies have been done that show that if a quarterback's on a team that struggles and gets behind, that that's the biggest indicator of, of a, a young quarterback not having the kind of success that you'd like to see him have. Interesting. Uh, I think obviously uh, something continue to monitor uh, with Jalen Hurts over the the rest of this 2021 season. Uh, I'm not sure if you have anything else uh, on the offensive side of the football. Uh, Dallas Goddard, I thought this was the first game we got a sense of of him as the the full-time tight end. We've been able to see Dallas uh, in the flashes that he has shown. We know he's got all the traits necessary to be that guy, but now he gets that opportunity over these next 10 weeks to be able to put that on display uh, in a contract year. And so uh, I thought game one, we saw him often as a blocker. I thought he made some big time blocks in this game against Yannick Ngakwe, against some other defensive linemen, uh, used out in space once again. Um, but then also, obviously, you mentioned three catches, all of them 20 plus yards. So uh, good for Dallas to be able to see that in his first game as the uh, the official starter. Yeah. And, and hopefully the offense can develop more rhythm going forward. And then I think he would get more targets. Mm, yep. I would say that about a bunch of players for sure. Yeah, play that about no question. yeah no doubt. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's go to the defensive side. Uh, obviously, a really rough one, right? I mean, uh, you see Derek Carr have the amount of success that he's had. We said last yeah. week here on the show that he's playing the best football of his career. He looked decisive. He was accurate. He made throws off platform. He made them on platform. Uh, yet answers for everything that the Eagles uh, threw at him uh, on Sunday in this game. Yeah, and I mean, again, I think we know what the Eagles do. They knew what the Eagles do, and that's what the Eagles did. They played you know, high percentage zone coverage behind four man D line pass rush. Um, They've somewhat increased their percentage of cover one, but it's still near the bottom of the NFL. They don't blitz much at all. And, you know, I I guess, you know, the kind of thing that stands out to me when I watch the Eagles in their zone coverage is not that they make mistakes. Like I don't see it as, Oh, that guy, that's a bust or that's a mistake. But sometimes when I watch them in their zone concepts, I feel like they don't squeeze and close the voids quickly enough. Um, because you know where the voids are. You know, that's the thing. When you coach zone coverage, you know where the voids are. Coaches know that. Players know that. Um, And I think that's one of the things that I think stands out, you know, and and people watching might think, oh, they made a mistake because a guy, you know, seems open. But it's not a mistake in the sense that it's a bust, an assignment bust, Fran. It's more that they're just not squeezing down the open space, I think, anyway, as quickly as needs to be done. When you see defenses undergo a scheme change, I, I do think that there's a little bit, it gets a little bit overplayed when you talk about the the changes in coverages and things like that from, uh, you know, the scheme of 2020 versus the scheme of 2021. There's only so many coverages in football. What changes is what guys are asked to do within those coverage concepts, what some of the rules are and the terminology and things of that nature. But cover one is cover one. Cover four, for the most part, is cover four. You know, there are well, different ways to coach inside of that. But Well, uh, also what changes too is how you play it versus different receiver distribution. No, no question. And splits. Exactly. All different Checks are going to change. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Um, but I mean, the basic rules of cover four are the basic rules of cover four. Yeah. Um, you know, now teams try to make tweaks to that, you know, based on who they're playing. 
but there's there are rules. I mean, there's rules in cover three, there's rules in cover four because you have to teach it. Right. You know, you, you don't just roll it out and say today we're playing cover four. You have to teach something. Yep. I mean, I had a great conversation a couple of years ago at the um, combine with Dennis Allen, who I've gotten to know over the years, the D.C. for the Saints. Sure. And I actually asked him, you know, how do you deal with it defensively when you face a team that is really multiple with their use of personnel and their formations? You know, be, because you can't. You can't coach a team to say, well, if they're in this formation, do this. If they're in this formation, do this. If they're in this formation, do this. Because then the players on defense can't play. So he, he basically told me, he said, well, we have rules. And if we start seeing a lot of different formation looks, we rely on our rules. And that's basically the way things are taught. Yeah, and, and I think the big thing, too, um, that's what I wanted to ask you, is when you look at teams that are kind of going over uh, a defensive change, you know, I, I look, the, you look at the Buffalo Bills right now, right, and the way that that defense is operating the back seven. Uh, they had success early on when Sean McDermott first got there. Uh, they made the playoffs that first year, if my, if my memory serves. Yeah. Um, but that defense, with largely the same amount of players and largely the same amount of the same coaching staff, didn't quite operate exactly the same on the back end. The, the execution level, not quite the same on the back end. A certain le- a comfort level is still necessary, right? So when you've got two new starters back there uh, with Anthony Harris, Rodney McLeod coming in late, you've got Steven Nelson coming in the, late in the offseason, uh, it takes some time for some of that gelling to be able to happen. And obviously, too, at the linebacker spot, uh, not a lot of continuity there either, right, with all the rotating, uh, all the rotating there at that position. So Yeah, and, uh, and, and I think it's fair to say that Jonathan Gannon is, particularly a linebacker, is, is trying to find his best combinations. I think we yep. see that. You know, sure. the last two weeks, we've clearly seen De- Davion Taylor get a lot more snaps. They're trying to find out if this third round choice from a year ago can play, uh, can play beyond what they initially thought, which was as an athletic player who's only going to play in your ba- in your nickel or your dime, whatever it may be. They don't play dime, but, you know, depending on on what they may evolve into. Sure. So they're trying to find that out, you know. They had tape on Singleton from a year ago. He he had seven or eight games last year where he played almost every snap. They know what he is. They're trying to get a feel for TJ Edwards, who I thought had some really good snaps this week, by the way, in the run game. And almost always does, by the way. Um, You know, they're trying to find out exactly what combinations work. So, you know, I don't want to say they're groping. That's not the right word. They're trying to figure it out. And it takes time. It's a new staff. It's it just it takes time. Yeah. And when you when you're playing different combinations different guys react differently to what they see yep. even though there are rules guys just react differently to what they see and sometimes it's like i said there haven't been assignment bus where you go oh my god what's he doing over there but it's just you know simple things too like the, the josh jacobs eight yard touchdown yep. they played a 5-1 front you know Derek barnett is the edge setter on that play as you know yep. he takes literally half a step inside to peak because uh, Jacobs looks like he's going inside and all of a sudden he doesn't set the edge. You know, now I don't view that as an assignment mistake in a strict sense. I don't know how a coach views it, but just, you know, he took that little, I mean, you saw the play. It, yep. it, it just took that little half step and he peaked. And in the NFL, that's all it takes. 
Sure. And it's just small mistakes like that that uh, make a difference between a touchdown or a field goal or a field goal and a punt. Uh, so, right. I, you know, the, those, are the, those are the things that keep drives going. And honestly, those are some of the mistakes. We've just seen too many of them. And it's really it's on both sides of the football. Right. I mean, we see Jordan Mailata getting a face mask at the second level and getting yep. a two yard run by Jalen Hurts. We see another fumble on the goal line offensively defense. You see those same kind of errors. Right. We talked about the penalties in, in, in the uh, in the past few weeks, how uh, they seem to have happen at very untimely moments. So, um, you know, this is a team that has got to figure out how to be able to execute at a high level on a more consistent basis. You're playing a lot of young players on both sides. So uh, you're going to see that level of inconsistency, but um, I don't know if there's any other takeaways from the defensive side. I think the other big thing too, actually real quick, I want to get your thoughts on this. We were kind of workshopping this, talking through it uh, on the post-game show last night, myself, uh, Ella Giovanni, and Ike Reese, and just kind of going through you know, some of the issues uh, defensively. And one thing we talked about was like, look, when you have a defense that plays this way, we're going to try and prevent the deep ball. We're going to make you work for things and, and you know, get, kind of getting into that. We talked about in recent weeks, that Dallas game, that Kansas City game, the Eagles just couldn't get enough of those stalemate plays, enough of those negative plays. But not only that, but when you're playing a, a team where the if the offense isn't uh, having the level of success that they would want, right, on the offensive side of the football, uh, well, now all of a sudden when that when the opponent is playing with a the lead, they're happy to to matriculate the football down the field. They're right, not necessarily exactly. feeling that pressure to try right, and push right. downfield and take some more risks. Right. I mean, it's it all goes together. Look, yeah, it's, it's all complimentary football. That's the issue when you know when you're not playing well overall is yep. all these things compound on one another and yeah. that's you know i mean the the killer was the touchdown at the end of the it was a field goal but still right at the end of the first half because the eagles scored on their first drive then the game was relatively close through the first half and even though that field goal only made it 17-7 it just had the feel of the game became different and yeah. then of course the the raiders scored on their first possession of the third quarter and yep. then the whole game changed yeah yeah it was a i mean uh, that whole stretch that you're you're referring to the, the eagles did not force a third down from the opening drive. That Avante Maddox interception was on the opening drive. That was the last third down for the Eagles defense until the third quarter, uh, which was uh, wild. And it just kind of speaks to the efficiency with which uh, Las Vegas was able to move the football. Uh, Let's turn the page here to Sunday's game against Detroit. Uh, 0-17, this team very easily could be 3-4, and very easily. Oh, they've been very competitive. And they're playing very, very hard on film. This is a a team that's really, really, really hungry – for that first win, watching this past week against the LA Rams, who they had an early lead on, uh, they had the Rams on their toes. You know, they're busting out all the stops. You've got uh, fake punts, you've got onside kicks. Uh, you know, they're playing hard. Like I said, on offense, they're flying around on defense. Uh, Interested to get your thoughts. I guess we'll start at the quarterback position with Jared Goff. What are you seeing from Jared Goff and this passing game here with the Detroit Lions? Well, if I'm being honest, I'd say probably not enough. But yeah. again, it's it's probably hard to put it all on Goff. Goff is Goff's a ball distributor and an executor, and that's what he's been. Uh, that's what he's. That's what he is. He will never be anything different than that. When he's playing at a high level, which we saw when he was with the Rams for a while in a really well schemed, well designed system, he can because he throws it very well. He's he's a pretty thrower. He can look very good and be highly efficient. Unfortunately, with the Lions, they've lost so much on the outside. I mean, they're playing with uh, St. Brown, a rookie who I think is going to be a good player. Yeah. But they're playing with Geronimo Allison, and they're playing. You know, they're playing with players who they certainly did not expect to be playing with when the season started. I mean, Khalif Raymond is getting 
probably what 40 50 snaps a game yeah. um, and nothing against Khalif Raymond I remember him in Tennessee sure. and he's he's probably a fourth or fifth receiver and he's now he's in a sense a starter so they're really hurting on the outside and they've really struggled to get the ball down the field they they they've lost a receiver who I actually really liked coming out of Wisconsin uh, Quintes Cephas and he ran a 472 at the combine and everybody went oh he can't play of course they said the same thing about Anquan Bolden when he ran a 472 as well and he did okay but Cephas has always played faster on tape and I thought he was a pretty solid you know NFL receiver but the point I'm making is they have no intermediate and vertical passing game and that that really makes it hard offensively to to put up points because when there's no true explosive plays in your pass game it's just hard but what i think kind of sets up now for this matchup is it's exactly off what you just said you know they're not a team that tries to push the ball down the field the eagles have seen a number of these offenses whether it's been tampa bay certainly last week the raiders uh the cowboys the chiefs you go on and on and on that, that have those weapons to be able to attack you down the field i think when you look at this group that has not been their strength uh they lead the nfl right now in receptions by or targets to their running backs uh deandre swift leads the nfl in yards after catch so uh clearly those underneath throws and they get to them a number of different ways, whether it's screen game, natural checkdowns, uh, just, just finding the running backs in the flats. Uh, DeAndre Swift, how many, I mean, he could have double digit catches uh, in this game. Now it's going to be up to the Eagles to be able to rally and make some of those stops because we know uh, that the Eagles have given up a lot of those chunk games there. They've seen more screen passes against them than any team in the NFL defensively. Uh, they've given up more yards to the running back position through the air. Uh, I think then more than pretty much every team, except for like three or four in the league. So uh, that to me, that sets up for this matchup, the way the lines are playing offensively in the past game uh, that if the Eagles don't change the way that they've been playing philosophically, that could be a little bit of an issue here someday. Well, yes and no. I mean, clearly the Eagles are, they're built not to give up big plays. Right. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, the key thing here with someone like DeAndre Swift is the run after catch element. You know, Swift's not necessarily running vertical routes. Um, no. So the key is is the run after catch. But, um, you know, obviously TJ Hawkinson is, is to me a very good tight end, and he's another player who's a potential concern because he certainly can get into the voids in, in zone coverage, and he has run after catchability as well. So to me, those are the two players that I would be most concerned about in the passing game. But again, when you when there's voids in your zone coverage, you don't have to have great receivers to attack those voids because that becomes play scheme as opposed to players. And there's a big difference there. You know, do they have great receivers now that they're lining up with? No, they don't. But you can scheme any receivers. You know, it becomes, you know, working route concepts that put them in voids in the zone. And I think that's one thing that the Eagles need to continue to work on is squeezing and closing down those voids. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if they're able to kind of squeeze those down underneath you know, those underneath windows uh, against Jared Goff because we know that that's where he's feeling more comfortable throwing the football. He can make a throw to anywhere on the field, but yes, he can. Yeah, but certainly he's been um, you know more likely to try and attack underneath and you know those underneath zone areas. So uh, we'll see if that's an area because again, not only Hawkinson uh, and Swift, but you mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown. That's an area where he's very active and he's able to create separation. He's a tough receiver uh, that has played inside and outside. So yep. uh, that's a, a player to watch in this passing attack as well. Uh, just looking at the offensive line, 
They've lost a number of starters. Uh, you know, they, they lose Frank Rag now. Uh, they lost uh, their, their right tackle, um, or technically the left tackle coming into the season, uh, uh, Taylor Decker. So that moved Penny Sewell, who was working at right tackle. He's been the left tackle all season long. They've got Matt Nelson playing at right tackle. Uh, he's had his ups and downs. So um, the Eagles, a familiar familiar player in Big V, Halapulavati Vitae, yep. lining up at right guard. Jonah Jackson, a second-year kid, a Philly kid, actually, from Media PA. Yeah, uh, he, you know, he's a good player. Guard. Yeah. I liked him coming out of Ohio State. He was a transfer there from Rutgers. I thought he had a good last year at Ohio State. And I kind of liked his tape at Ohio State. And I thought he'd be an NFL starter. And this is his second year as an NFL starter. And I think he's a solid player. Yeah, I, I think he's he's shown up well. I'm interested to get your thoughts on Penny Sewell. I mentioned the preseason, the summer. He was at right tackle. That was uh, where they were they were planning on putting him at. Uh, and then when you get the injury to Decker, they right before the season starts, it's all right. Go back to your natural position of left tackle. And those issues we saw from him in the preseason, uh, some went away. He's there, went away, and now he's looked really, really good at left tackle. Yeah. I mean, he's a classic case. He's not a right tackle. And by the way, he was very poor playing right tackle in the preseason. And he moved back to left tackle. And you can just see how much more comfortable he is with his kick slide, Fran. I mean, it's really interesting. You know, I'm not an offensive line guru, but I mean, I've talked to a lot of people about it. He just looks so uncomfortable on the right side. His lower body and his upper body did not work in sync at all when he was on the right side. They look disconnected. And on the left side, he looks very smooth. He does. And regardless of which side he's lined up on, uh, run game, he has been mauling people. He yeah. he really gets outstanding. But he's a fun offensive lineman to watch in the run. And game. they want to run the ball. I mean, they do. You know, we talked about Jared Goff and, and, you know, the pass game not being explosive. But this team wants to play some physical football. And I think it'll be an interesting matchup. They're going to be at home. They're very they've been very competitive. They're going to come out and try to run the football. I'm glad you mentioned that because we kind of skipped over that with talking about DeAndre Swift from the past game and certainly the, the impact he has there. Jamal Williams is the is another player in that offense that you have to account for. He is a hard, physical, downhill yes, he runner. Is. He is yes, a he is. Uh, he's honestly like one of my favorite running backs just to kind of watch in the NFL just because he the with the ferocity with which he runs with, um, he definitely brings that kind of physical element to that offense. I would agree with that. And and, you know, it's funny when I remember watching him coming out of, of BYU and I almost thought he could be, you know, the, the term feature back, whatever that means these days. But I thought watching him coming out of BYU that he could be the kind of guy, depending on the team that got 15, 16 carries a week and could yeah. be a good back. That's where he's at. That's yeah. what he's right now. And that's what he honestly, that's what he's been doing with Green Bay as well. Uh, when he was the backup to Aaron Jones the last few years, let's go over to the defensive side. Uh, Aaron Glenn takes over as the defensive yep. coordinator this off season. Uh, he comes over from the new Orleans saints. They also brought in Aubrey Pleasant who was with the LA Rams uh, previously. So um, you got, you have some, some crossover there schematically in terms of what they're doing, but uh, regardless, you're seeing multiple fronts. Uh, you're seeing guys kind of moved around a little bit. You're seeing a nice little pressure package here on third down of a variety of coverages they don't really major in, in one no you're other. right um but they, they they kind of do a lot of different things which is a little bit i would say kind of impressive considering the fact that they have just been decimated by injuries uh coming into this i mean they lose uh jeffrey akuda the second year corner top five pick out of ohio state last year they hand one of their more interesting players up front romeo aquara who they brought back on a big money contract off the edge he was their leading sacker a year ago um so they've just lost a number of really important players for them on the defensive side but uh they're still kind of mixing and matching and uh, i know the numbers aren't outstanding but again this team play they play really really hard they play a lot of people 
they're not an easy defense to play against. Oh. I mean, they don't have great players, like you said. I mean, you start looking at their corner position and, um, uh, you know, they don't have great players, but that doesn't really prevent them from being aggressive, from blitzing. Uh, when it comes to third down, they're among the highest percentage blitz teams on third down. They have multiple concepts. They come after you. They green dog as well. And by that, I mean a linebacker who's matched man to man on the back. If the back stays into pass protect, that linebacker adds into the pressure. They are not uh, a static defense. They are not a reactive defense. They're a proactive, aggressive defense, and that makes them difficult to play against. Yeah, and it's like I mentioned, you've got guys that uh, that do a lot, wear a lot of different hats for them. You know, yeah. you're looking at Trey Flowers and the, where he lines up. Uh, they've got. I mentioned Julian Aquara or Romeo Aquara, rather. He's injured. The younger brother, uh, Julian, he's he's lining up everywhere. He had an impressive sack this week, and, and his ability to close on the football is impressive. They've got some interior linemen like Michael Brockers, who came over from the Rams. Uh, they, he does a number of things. So defensively, it's a it's a tough group to prepare for. They they fly around. Um, the, the one number, you know, because again, you're looking around where where are they really successful? Uh, none of the numbers really really stand out. But the one big thing I thought was important for this matchup. Third down pressure, uh, they're one of the big teams yeah. in terms of high-volume blitzing on third down. I believe they're 11th in the NFL coming into this game. Uh, so the Eagles can expect, especially with the issues that they've had on third down offensively in the passing game, expect to see lots of pressure. And it typically looks it has that double mug front. You're going to see those double A-gap looks sure are. up front here from this defense. And Jalen Hurts, and it's not just him, but the Eagles have not been very good versus Blitz on third down this year. They've they've been very poor, actually. So they're going to see that. And they can still win some one-on-ones. Charles Harris, after being in the same draft with Derek Barnett and struggling through two or three other spots in the league, has seemingly found a home in Detroit. He's looked good rushing off the edge. They move him from one side to the other. A player like Alex Anzalone, who literally plays every snap, I bet he's played 95% of their snaps this year. You know, he's a solid linebacker with athleticism who can play both in space and in coverage and blitz. So, you know, while they've had some injuries, they also have a few players who are pretty solid NFL players. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And uh, Armani Arawarie, uh, former Penn State corner, he's yeah. kind of you know, their pseudo number one corner. I would say they're certainly their only starter from the week one that is still playing yes, right now. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, and Arawarie, he's got three picks on the year. All of them kind of, you know, his own coverage, miss, misfired throws, but those happen for a reason. Some of those zone windows a little right. bit, uh, you know, a little bit tighter, uh, some pressure creating some of those throws. So um, Oro definitely a player uh, to watch out for on the back end. I like that safety 2-0 as well with Tracy Walker uh, and Will Harris, as you and mentioned. And Harris is the, uh, Will Harris is the tight end matchup when they do play cover mm-hmm. one. So look for the Harris-Goddard matchup on occasion in this game. Interesting. Uh, and as you mentioned, Charles Harris getting some, giving up some good reps off the edge. Uh, he was always a talented player coming out of Missouri. He was in the same draft as Derek Barnett. And I, I must admit, you know, going back, I actually thought Harris was a little more dynamic and explosive than Derek was coming out. Yep. And obviously the Eagles didn't think so because they drafted Barnett before Harry, you know, Harris was still on the board, but you know, but Harris has moved around and I guess he just hasn't been able to find a home. Maybe he's found one in Detroit. It, it's funny. You're kind of looking at this roster, looking at this depth chart. I feel like they're, um, there are a number of players that kind of fit that bill where it was like, you know, Eagles draft in uh, 2017. All right, well, is it Derek Barnett or is it Charles Harris? Then you go back to 2012. Is it is it Fletcher Cox or is it Michael Brockers? Uh, right, 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 right. Uh, 2016, is it 
Carson Wentz or is it Jared Goff? So there are a right. number of players on this right. Lions team uh, that kind of fit that bill. Well, they did. The Lions did draft one of my favorite guys to watch this year. And now he's starting over the last three, four weeks. He's become part of the rotation. And that's Derek Barnes from Purdue. Yeah, um, He's starting to get meaningful snaps both in base and in nickel. And uh, I really liked his take. And just give us a quick scouting report. What do you, what do you see from him so far in this Lions defense? Well, he was a player who made a transition at Purdue. In his junior year, he was a, an on-the-ball pass rusher. And then his senior year at Purdue, they moved him to an off-the-ball stack linebacker. And he was very proactive. He was very aggressive. He made a lot of tackles, good tackles, you know, where, where uh, uh, he attacked the line of scrimmage. And I think he basically is a stacked player in this defense. He, he'll play at times in their base with Anzalone. They're starting to use him more in the nickel. Um, they're starting to use him a little more as a blitzer. Uh, so, you know, I think I think he's a player that will continue to get more reps for them. Uh, something certainly to watch for them uh, moving forward into Sunday, uh, an important piece for the Eagles to monitor. Well, Greg, uh, we'll be breaking down this game with you next Monday night, uh, the, the day after Halloween. So that'll be a, November 1st. Next Monday, night. we'll be talking about how ah. it's uh, November. Uh, next time we take the air together. Greg, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, Rand. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduced the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com slash fly. Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on any form of social media, but the best way is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. Rich Bobby left a five-star review just saying, hey, love the show and love the new Faux Focus segment. Rich, long-time listener, long-time subscriber, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for jumping on and leaving us that comment. Again, that's the best way to throw us your support. If you like what you're hearing or if you've got a question, go on and leave it on our Apple Podcast page, and it helps boost this show up the rankings, makes it more available for other Eagles fans looking for podcasts. So great stuff there from Rich. Great stuff this week from Greg Cosell. As always, thank you to him, and thank you to all of you as well for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.